Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pals Podcast. I'm your co-host George Boutsalis. And I'm your other co-host Ricky Liorti. In this episode, we had Canadian Olympic figure skater Patrick Chan. You might remember him from the 2018 Olympics where he captured his first gold medal and he's arguably known as one of the greatest Canadian figure skaters of all time. Super decorated athlete and had a really fun time catching up with him and finding out what he's up to nowadays and, and hearing some Olympic stories. So take a listen, guys. Oh, a big shout out to our presenting sponsor, Cottage Springs. Yeah, Cottage Springs, guys. I mean, we've said it quite a bit here. We talk about it a lot. We have them during our episodes. Um, I think most of you know by now, but Cottage Springs is a Canadian-based vodka beverage company. All, be- all beverages are gluten and sugar-free and have 100 calories. Uh, they're the first vodka water cooler in Canada. They're Cottage, Cottage Springs Vodka Water, uh, and they also have the Cottage Springs Vodka Sodas. Some amazing flavors. The water comes in raspberry, lime, and strawberry kiwi, and uh, the sodas come in a lot of flavors. Ontario peach, watermelon vodka, uh, watermelon sodas, uh, lemon lime, wild cherry. I mean, I love them. One of my favorites. Yeah, they're, they're great. So pick them up at your local LCBO, and uh, me and Georgie would definitely crack a couple... Uh, Oh, this 100%, weekend, hundred percent. Also, we'd like to give another shout out to our baby and one of our other sponsors, Cast. Uh, if you haven't already heard, Cast is a new project that me, George, and our other buddy Dave are working on. And the main goal of Cast is to be the objective assembly of public opinion. Uh, we're creating a, an online space where people can share their honest and objective opinions without the fear of reprisal. Especially with everything happening in uh, on today's social landscape, found that this is really going to solve uh, a need in today's society so hit me up or hit up george uh, or hit up the cast account at create your cast to get early access to our beta version we're going to be launching publicly in a couple weeks so definitely check that out and one more sponsor actually to this great couch we're sitting yeah, on right you guys now. will see this if you're watching i uh, highly recommend watching this one on youtube uh it was a lot of fun uh, and great uh this couch has a great new aesthetic to the studio setup so shout out to rfp design our, uh, our buddy andrew over at rfp Really looked after us and uh, could not be happier. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a, they're a manufacturer of Canadian-made furniture, which obviously supporting local and uh, support supporting Canadian brands is super crucial, especially during these uh, these you know tough times. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking for any custom furniture, definitely hit them up. Uh, you can hit up Andrew Moretti or at RFP underscore design group on Instagram. And their website is requestforproduct.ca. My pal. L-F-G. Let's go. And then other than that, yeah, it's just a friendly conversation. So we'll uh, we'll get it going. Oh, we're already going. So this is easy. <laughs> Jordan. Jordan hit the button. I think it's okay. We're all good. We, hit it, we do we usually do a rolling start, anyways. We kind of just jump into it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Patrick. It's good. It's good to have you on the podcast. I know we've uh, we've tried to get you on a couple times in the past, and uh, now we finally got this to work. Yeah, it just took a pandemic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what have you uh, What have you been up to during this uh, these crazy times? Oh gosh, a lot of nothing. Um, <laughs> just spending a lot of time at home, um, which has been which has been really nice. I think a lot of people can relate that being home is uh, and and I guess 
finding your priorities in life um, is has been refreshing, and it was a bit of a nice check in um, for yourself um, at the beginning, maybe at the first three months, but. I think now it's becoming a little, people are going a little crazy. We're starting to lose our minds a little bit. So um, for me, it's it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster because, you know, I typically I'm, I'm going on tour at least once a year, um, skating in shows, even though I'm not competing anymore. Um, and then all of those obviously got canceled along with all the live shows. So um, I've kind of had to reassess my, my career path. Um, you know, I was looking at uh, doing shows for maybe a few more years, but now it's kind of sped up the process of having to move on and having to look at, okay, what if skating isn't possible? You know, what? who am I? You know, there's a bit of an identity crisis uh, because who am I without skating? And um, am I capable of moving into a new career? So I've been kind of exploring. I passed my real estate exam in December. Um, Congrats. Thank Congrats. you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. To, but that's like half the battle. Um, I, the other half is is finding a brokerage to work for and and then finding the right environment and, and learning again, like starting over, basically. That's honestly that it's, it's pretty cool to hear, especially like, you know, going from, I guess, doing something your whole life transitioning. Now, I will say, and not to, not to take away from this, but Ricky and I are kind of in the same point. I think we're all about the same age and uh, we're all kind of diverging it in uh, in new directions, which is which is really interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, Patrick. I find it really kind of exciting too, trying to step into the unknown a little bit, foray into something that I'd never done before. So, I mean, how is your early uh, your early process into the <laughs> to that world been so far? Uh, mostly positive, but of course, there's days where I'll wake up and like a bit of a bit of a panic moment of just like, what am I doing and is this the right choice? Am I making the right decision here? Because when you've known, when I, when you've done something for two decades, that's it, it's hard to leave it. It's hard to, to to tell yourself, hey, like let's move on. Let's time to to start again from the very beginning in something completely different with different people interacting with a new community of people. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's I, I will not lie. There's days where I wake up and and kind of think like what are you what are you doing like just wait just let's just wait till the shows come back and, and get back on the ice and and do what you you're good at um so but i always just think like it's it's really healthy i think to challenge yourself um i think it's important not to s become too stale and like and and just comfortable it's never good to be comfortable for too long it's i think important to challenge yourself and and put yourself in uncomfortable situations and test yourself you know yeah. Uh, one thing I think is super interesting that you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're about 30, correct? That's right. Yeah. Just turned 30. Yeah. You will have to blade it. But <laughs> you're like 30 for figure skating is almost, you're, you're almost at the end of your career. Whereas yeah. you know, we're 30s and we're basically just really starting our career. <laughs> so I think it's so funny. Like even my friends who played hockey growing up, like they're considered vets in, in the NHL or in their careers or they're starting to retire. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. our careers are just starting to really get going. We're not even in the prime of our careers yet. So yeah, I think that's so funny whenever I meet meet athletes, especially the ones that start. You know, you probably started skating professionally at eighteen. Totally. Yeah. Even younger. Yeah. Even younger. Oh, younger yeah. yeah. So yeah, like skating especially is not the best example for for long long careers. Um, <laughs> we you know twenty 
I was 27, 28 when I retired and people were like, what? <laughs> that's, that's nuts. Like, that's just when your life is starting. And um, so it's, but it, you know, when you're in the a sport where um, you have young phenoms and like right now we've got young Russian girls competing at the Olympics and at the world championships who are probably 14, 15 years old. So um, some of them aren't even allowed to compete in the Olympics, even though they're they could probably win it. So um, it's just the direction the sport is moving in. The technical um, demand is so high that you've got to be young. You've got to be resilient. You've got to, um, yeah, it's, it's, and you got to be small. Like you got to be, you got to be a small, a small stature um, to be successful. So um, it's been, it's been a, a bit weird. Yeah. To think like, you know, Roger Federer and like, Tiger Woods, um, those guys are like, Roger's just hitting probably a second peak of his career. So um, I kind of, I, I am jealous. Um, and, but that, that's just the, the, the card that have, the cards that have been yeah. dealt to me. And um, I've had a, an amazing career. You know, I was able to accomplish so much, go to three Olympic games. And, and um, honestly, even without my age, I think I was kind of ready mentally to move on and, um, it's it's a lot to ask um, from such a young age um, to it's a huge demand on the body mentally yeah. and physically. But before we get into the Olympics, and obviously we're gonna we're gonna touch upon that. What do you think it is that makes figure skating the athletes are able to excel at such a young age? Like you know, you're at, at thirty, you're not old by any means. You're still in good physical shape, but you're saying that you're it's not the same as these 14, 15 year olds. Is it because? They're just more daring to try these new things because they're young. Is it because they're still not fully developed? So they're smaller and can fly through the air a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. what do you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. A few factors, definitely the, the, the whole like physical side of it being small and, you know, it's much easier to rotate four times in the air when you're, when your waist is about this, <laughs> this wide. So, um, yeah, it, so physic physicality is one thing. Um, I think, Another thing is probably just the fact that when you're young, you don't really understand expectations and pressure. Um, you know, I, I was a much better competitor when I was like 13, 14, because everything's so fun. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. Um, but when you get older, you start and you start kind of having reputation and expectations you step on the ice and you start, your mind starts racing of like, what if this happens? What if I fall on this? What if I do this? So you start playing out scenarios and you start overthinking things. Um, so I think that's why really young athletes sometimes do really well because they just, they feel what they're doing instead of thinking what they're doing. Um, you almost, I was gonna say, you almost are like naive at that point where you're like just almost happy to be there. It's like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is the best that ever happened to me. Whatever happens is, you know, a bonus if, if whatever. And then exactly. I guess you do really well. The next, and that, you know, someone like yourself who has had a pretty storied career I, from a young age, like then you're like, okay, well now I, I made it. So now I got to keep pushing the bar. And um, I guess that answers that kind of to Ricky's question too. Like you don't yeah. know any better when you're young, I guess. And then it's just a way, I, I would assume it's just a way on you a little Absolutely. more. The psychological plays a factor too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the early, yeah, like I said, like at the beginning, it was just so much fun. Everything is new and, and you have, 
nothing to lose. I think that's the best thing is like when you've got nothing to lose when you're competing, you're giving it 110%. And like, if you fall on your face, that's okay. Like, it, that's okay. You gave it 110%. But then as you get older, I started, I remember I started feeling like I had to be so perfect that I almost, I was paralyzed and I would start competing cautiously. And when you're being cautious in, in a competitive environment, when, when it's a, a matter of millimeters um, and inches, you have to, the, the best way to go for it is just to, to really not hold anything back um, because things happen so quickly. Um, you have to be just giving it 110. When, uh, when do you think you were at your best? Uh, I will tell, I, I, I usually say 2011. So right after the games in 2010 in Vancouver, um, I went off and did, I added like a new jump, which was the quad, quad toe at the time, um, which is now like, that's an easy jump nowadays. But, uh, back then it was like, it was really, it was a huge step forward for me personally. And then also I think at the time in the men's figure skating field, not many men were doing it. Um, there was a bit of a dry spell there. So I came in and did two quad toes in one program, for example. So that really established myself as one of the top uh, competitors nationally and internationally. So I, I went and won worlds in, worlds in 2011, 2012, 2013, all the way to leading up to 2014, the next game. So um, those were, you know, I was at my prime. I, I remember just a feeling so confident going into competitions. I wasn't, it was more of a, I was nervous because I was excited to show what I had as opposed to being nervous because I am nervous of competing and I'm, I feel like everyone's watching me. Um, it was, to that was not at all the issue. It was more just like, like I, I related to being like a tiger in a cage and I just wanted to get out and compete and, and show what I have. And, and that just showed, again, going back to the comment I made, giving it like, not holding back and just attacking every single technical element I had. Um, and it gave me really good results. So yeah, yeah, that was a window where I would say was like the best. Yeah. How in that moment too, like you're kind of hitting your stride and you're leading up to those Olympics, which you obviously did, did extremely well to the back, going back to the point of like, when you start to have expectations, how do you like call the nerves? How do you stay, stay calm going in? Cause I, I you know, you're saying, 2012 leading up was like you're, yeah. you're getting all excited all these expectations okay i'm i'm adding this this new thing to my repertoire like were you going in feeling super confident were you nervous thinking i gotta suppress i know i can do it let me keep this down like where what was your mindset at then um yeah so that that's one of the biggest challenge of competitive skating is that i think the majority of it is mental and very little of it is physical when you get to the competition. Um, so I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm, I, I'm okay, right? Yeah. yeah it's not yeah. too glitchy. Yeah, gotcha. No, no. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll start, I'll start the answer over. Um, yeah, no worries. So, so with skating, it's sometimes it's, it's actually more of a mental game than it is a physical game. Um, when I, I wish it was one of those things where I wish I had a little more uh, mental preparation or like a sports psychologist earlier in my career. Um, because yeah, when, when I got to competition, sometimes I would, I would, I would start playing these scenarios of like, whether it was, you know, who, 
expectations that I put on myself or expectations that maybe someone else put on me and I've let it kind of come in and affect me um, that I would almost like before I even got on the ice to compete, I would step on and I would feel like I've ran a marathon. Like I was so tired just because of all the thoughts going through my mind. And um, I read a book once it's called the rise of Superman and it talks about all of these um, extreme athletes. So free divers, big wave surfers, um, rock climbers who climb without without a rope. Um, so, and and they they had scientists study like how they get into the zone of just like, it's like the margin for error is like so narrow. And if they fail, if they make one mistake, it's death. So it was really interesting to read about these guys who can almost like, they're experts in, in getting themselves in this zone of just like, where everything, time almost stops, the heart rate's super controlled. Um, their, their thoughts are very s clear thoughts, not like over, over um, stimulating their mind um, so that they can really do these very precise maneuvers um, in high pressure situation, but make it feel like it's so easy and, and there's, there's not much to it. So um, I, I started getting into meditation, doing a lot of breathing um, exercises before, just right before getting on the ice mostly because I would have my, my heart rate would start getting really high um, to the point where I would have no more energy when I got on the ice before I even started my performance. So um, it was just always about managing expectations and then managing my physical like heart rate um, because those two things together kind of was sometimes a recipe for disaster. What do you think that you did to kind of overcome that? Obviously, mental the, the mental aspect is a huge thing in any sport. And as we see now with the rise of sports psychologists and mm -hmm. a lot of you know, players coming out and talking about the mental struggle, especially you know in certain sports. I, I know baseball, you have the yips where a player just forgets how to right. do something they've been doing their entire lives. And that's – I don't know if it's proven that it's a mental phenomenon or a mental disaster, whatever yeah. it is. But how did you overcome that or how did you, I guess, learn to adapt and and – overcome that and, and just be the on the be the best that you can be sure i mean i think it's always a, a work in progress i don't think there's ever you don't ever find the magic solution um and no matter what there's just a factor where you just have to accept the fact that some events or some competitions is just not gonna not nothing not everything's gonna align itself um you know, even the greatest, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, they've had they've had bad games and they just it's it's I think how you how you manage um, those disappointments and how quickly you can just let them roll off and, and you're moving on to the next thing um, and not let it linger in your mind and let you affect you negatively. Um, so there's ways to look at it from a macro way to a micro way. Um, I think micro is like you could do like I like I talked about meditation, breathing exercises, um, having a routine, like a real like specific routine. Um, some people could say it's even like superstition. So playing a certain type of music um, during your warm up, um, doing the same warm up. Um, so those are those are more specific things. I think on a broader sense, I think it's sometimes just about um, perspective and just thinking about like there's more to life than, than this competition and there's more to life than me as, as an athlete. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, 
a bigger person than that sometimes is, is important to realize because you get so immersed in this world, especially when you're so successful, um, you have, you can't help but start losing sight of like what's around you and what's important in life, you know, whether it's your family or your friends. Um, so yeah, just keeping a good, um, a good perspective is, is always important. That's interesting. And I'm going to make an assumption here. Obviously never, uh, never been, I've been, I've played sports, never been a super competitive athlete, uh, at a, at a high level, but I, I, to your point, like it's putting this in perspective because I guess the, the mental aspect has got to be huge because when you're, you know, when you're coming up, trying to win, trying to climb the ranks, you're probably beating yourself up so much thinking, how can I get there? Then you get there and I, I'm guessing you're thinking, how can I stay here or how can I get even further? Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, even, you know, when you're battling to get up to the top of the mountain, it's me- a mental struggle, physical, that stuff. But then even once you get there, it's got to be, you know, taxing. You really got to put yeah. it in perspective and kind of check yourself. Yeah, I mean, like when I was when I had those good years, 2011, 2012, 2013, that was that was awesome. Like that was I it when it got to the top at the beginning, it was nice. I could enjoy it. And then when it got to 2014, like the Olympics came in, I started it started changing because like I started feeling like, oh my God, like that gap I had over my other competitors started closing. And when they got to the to the Olympics, there was a Japanese skater who he just came out of the junior ranks and he was pretty much like neck and neck with me. And he had, you know, added more technical ability to his program. So he was technically a little stronger than I was. Um, So I started kind of looking behind my shoulder and I started feeling like I lost sight of all the the work I had put in all of my, my routine warmups, my routine breathing or whatever it was, my routine, I just completely forgot about it because I was so busy looking behind me and looking at my competitor that was coming up. Um, and like, I was just trying to hopefully like keep him, keep him there as long as possible through the Olympics. And unfortunately when I got to the Olympics, it's like, that's when he struck and, and I lost that opportunity to, to win golds. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's not, it's a, that's what I mean. It's a constant evolution of work and internal um, development when it comes to the mental aspect of co- competition. I think it takes, it, it, it constantly is morphing. You know, um, I'm sure if you ask some of the best, the greatest athletes, they have their, their um, state of mind at a certain event is very different from an event five years later. Um, I think their approach is, you have, constantly have to adjust well, sorry, go, George. I was going to say, so just to kind of even uh, to jump forward from there, because like, and, and thanks for, for explaining that. that was a, a great way to put it in perspective for us. But even then you said like jumping forward then. So 2014 happens and, and you know, you're kind of looking over a little bit, but, you know, obviously still, again, the result is, is fantastic. I, I'm sure mm-hmm. it goes without saying it was, you know, would have wanted a little bit more, but, but then heading into the next one, 2018, I, I have a, like, you know, a few questions. Was it? You know, you kind of said mentally uh, early on, you said mentally, you kind of knew you were ready, getting to the point where, okay, so I'm it up. W- did you have that mindset kind of going into 2018, thinking, you know what, this might be the last, whatever happens, happens, almost going back to like that childhood type naive where yeah. you're like, you know what, it's gravy on top and, and let's see what happens. Did you not know? And and you just decided the outcome kind of dictated, okay, I can leave now, I'm happy. Like, what was what was that yeah. experience like? George, I was uh, thinking the question, man. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. 
Yeah, so 2018 was a very different, my road, those four years leading up was so different because after 2014, after the disappointing performance, um, yeah, like you said, I still came away with a silver medal, which is insane. Um, but at the time, I was just so pissed. Like, I was just, like, resentful towards, like, everyone in the sport and the sport itself. Like, so I, I took a year off. I didn't compete for one year. And so I came back in the 2015-2016 season and um you know the sport had changed tremendously a lot of the junior skaters from those from 2014 were now in the senior ranks and had established themselves pretty uh, pretty much at the top of the international stage um so uh, not to bring it back to the quad jumps all the time but you know i came in 2011 i added a second quad quad jump to my program when I got to 2016, these guys were doing four, five quads. So you could see there was a big jump technically. So I, going into 2018, I had to, like, I had to just um, accept the fact that I wasn't going to win an Olympic medal. Like, I wasn't going to be the next, I didn't have another chance to win the Olympic gold just because I physically was not capable um, and I didn't have the arsenal to do it. So that's why right like a few months before um, February 20, 2018, I was like border, almost just like pulled the plug. I didn't even, um, you know, I kind of went on a hiatus. I, I was getting calls from like Scott Moyer and from all my other teammates. They were like, hey, like, are you like, are you going to compete? Like, man, we need to know. Like, and I was just like, don't talk to me. Like, I'm just so, so done with this because, you know, what's the point of me training for, for like an eighth place finish. That was my mentality. I was like, what's the point? I may as well just move on and and, and start a new career. Um, and even when I started, when I made the decision to, to go for the 2018 games, um, I was still kind of unsure, but slowly as I started training and I had a very specific way of training um, because that had changed from 10 years ago. I don't, I can't train the same way. I'm older, I'm less motivated. So there had to be a very specific way to train. Um, so I, I ended up going to 2018 and qualifying at the national championships. I won my, my 10th title, which gave me kind of a nice little boost to go to the Olympics, um, despite not being a favorite. Um, and you know what, we ended up winning a, a team gold medal um, with Tess and Scott, Eric and Megan, uh, Caitlin. So uh, we, we, that was, honestly, I didn't think that was going to be as satisfying as it was. Um, but, you know, a gold medal is a gold medal, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it was, it was more satisfying because it was the, the end of your career, you weren't really expecting it, and you got to do it with, you know, people that you had been skating with for years? Like we had Eric totally. Rapp on the podcast almost a year ago now, probably a little mm -hmm. bit more than year ago it was one of our yeah. first and he told us a story about how he was doing it you know in pairs and he had never got to that that gold medal and then he did it as a team and you got there and standing up there with these people that you've you've struggled with you've had these late nights these early mornings these cold yeah. drinks yeah you know, it's a special feeling I yeah mean, I, oh I yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like you that's the thing i i always envy like hockey and baseball and football because you have the team environment you have you have the support of your teammates and and you also you create this bond and we in figure skating typically don't have that chance to really bond like that and 
I feel like that Canadian, that Canadian Olympic team, um, especially at the end, we really, it, it was something that we had developed from back in 2010. So it's been 10, almost 10 years of us just like going through the, the mundane competitions, the mundane training together, having chats about like how much it sucks and then having the victories, the highs and then the lows together. Um, it was, it was really, it was, that was special to like stand on the podium and look to my left and look to my right and see like people that I had known for eight years and, and skated together and been on the national team with them. Um, and yeah, that's why, that's why it was um, so satisfying. And then I kind of compete without, with complete abandonment after that. Uh, because I had my individual event after that. So um, so once I had the gold, I was like, all right, well, it doesn't really matter what happens now. Like, I'm just going to go and finish this off and, and put a little little ending to my to my career here. So uh, it, it was, it turned out, um, I'm so so glad I, I went and didn't, didn't chicken out. Good. Go, sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say, I want, I want to switch a little bit off the figure skating more about the Olympics yep. and you know, you're 20 years old, your first Olympic Games. You know, what was that like? Well, you're, well, I guess you're starting your prime of figure skating, but, you know, you're still young and it's it's got to be, you know, one of the craziest moments of your life, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. 2010, like, there's still, out of, out of the three, is um, still the best one. And it's one of those where I wish I, 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 I had experienced it you know, when I was 27, near the, the end of my career, because I think I would have appreciated it or had allowed myself to open my eyes to how amazing and unique of an experience that is. Um, because not many athletes get to experience a home game. Like, that's so different. Um, I remember, like, is it Robson? I think Robson, like, was completely shut down for those two weeks. So people were just walking through the street. Um, you know, I remember, like... Uh, oh gosh canada house and like getting my first tattoo like getting the the olympic <laughs> the olympic typical tattoo um right on robson like that those are those are um really little snippets but i i think i could have enjoyed it a bit even a bit more because when I, at 20 you're just you take it almost too seriously especially your first games like i, I for some reason i was just so um i think i missed out on a lot of like on, on a lot of what the Olympics is about, which is the friends that you meet and the network of people and the experiences you have with them, um, because that's so unique. And I, I feel like I almost, I was just so hoarse with blinders that I didn't really get to, a chance to take a breath and take it all in. Um, and then it ended up kind of hindering my performance too, because I was just so paralyzed because I was just so, um, again, wanted to be so perfect um, that I didn't take any chances. Did you go to any of the other events while, while you were there? Did you watch the, the hockey, the curling, skiing, the luge? <sighs> okay, the luge. so <laughs> the luge. <laughs> um, so the mountain sports, I didn't because it's always like we, as the skaters are always in um, the coastal village. I think I watched some, some speed skating, long track speed skating. Um, I remember watching, I didn't get a chance to get to watch any live um, games, the hockey games. Um, but I remember 
vividly, like sitting in the lounge of the the Canadian like Canadian dormitories, um, and and sitting and watching Sid score the the golden goal, and like I could almost I think I could hear from the balcony like the whole city kind of erupt, um, and yeah, that, that's that's a memory that pretty special to experience i can't even imagine what that would have been like i i kind of a, just a random question that i thought of if if you weren't uh, a figure skater for canada what other what sport would you have chosen besides and it could winter summer whatever like what what's another kind of passion uh definitely skiing like downhill racing like i really liked downhill skiing i still really like skiing um God, hockey, if I wasn't so small, <laughs> if I was a bit <laughs> bigger and like if I was like at least 5'10 or 5'11, um, you know, my mom, my mom didn't put me in hockey for that exact reason. She knew I'd get pretty rattled up, like beat up because so, I'm so small. Um, what else? Maybe, maybe golf would have been a good choice. I just, I wish I took, I, I picked the sport where, um, you know, the reward the monetary rewards were a little higher. <laughs> skating is a skating is like it's great, but um, it's not that next level kind of success. Um, yeah, uh, but but yeah, but nonetheless, it's it's been a, a wonderful ride. So you mentioned the golden goal, George. Do you remember where you were for that? Uh, twenty ten. So I was at Western. I was probably like at Jacks or something. I was at one of the bars for sure. <laughs> me, me and Ricky both. Me and Ricky both went to Western. That's where we met actually. And uh, okay, yeah, I would have probably been. I think I honestly couldn't tell you exactly. I'm not a huge hockey fan, uh, but I don't remember a hundred percent where I was. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, honestly, Canadian shocking, but like yeah, I, I don't remember a hundred percent. I remember because someone just posted. I think the golden goal was literally a week ago. It was ten. It was uh, yeah. sorry, like eleven years ago, a week ago. And someone posted. Do you remember where you were? And I remember exactly where I was. Like I, the goal happened, and I ran out of the barking frog on uh, on Richmond Street, and I ran into the street just yelling and screaming. And the street just within, I'm not kidding, within thirty seconds went from dead to slam people yeah. climbing yeah. the light poles and everything and then george i think we actually went back to your condo on richmond i think i was gonna say i think i i pretty sure i were at the same party i remember now probably yeah we walked all the way down richmond street yeah i was i remember now yeah yeah, yeah. good times good times yeah, i actually cool. so you know honestly it, one of the things that's been great about this podcast we've, we've I've been fortunate to speak to so many uh so many cool people but so many olympians that we otherwise probably wouldn't have and yeah, I will say one of the things that's kind of killing me is that the Olympics got postponed last year because we talked to so many mm -hmm. people who are so fired up and yeah, uh, it, it's so crazy and and um, yeah. yeah. Well, I like imagine imagine how like those athletes that that this was maybe their plan to be the last Olympics maybe in their yeah. careers. Imagine like imagine I went through what I went through in 2018 and they're like just kidding, wait one more year like that would have changed everything. Like, I don't know if I would have kept training for another year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm quite optimistic in terms of like them actually holding them. I think they will go through with them. Um, I just don't think it'll be the same kind of experience, unfortunately. It'll be probably empty stadiums. Um, Cause those, 
those TV contracts are, I think, way too large to to turn those down, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you? Do you plan? Sorry, Rick. Do you um? You said you you know now uh, kind of waiting and seeing with shows and all that stuff that you wanted to do. Uh, do you anticipate staying either involved with like the Canada program, doing your own coaching, uh, any of that in the works? Or are you more like a like an athlete, not as much in the co- like uh, the passion for the coaching and teaching and all that? Yeah, yeah, more the latter. I think um, I tried I tried coaching, um, and, and and I've definitely thought about it, like starting you know a skating school or a skating academy. I think that's a very natural progression. Um, unfortunately, I just don't see myself kind of, you know, I, I'm such a multi-sport athlete that I, I, I would find it very difficult for me to stay in an ice rink as a coach for another 20 years um, and then going to comp- the same competitions. I think that would be, um, I think it would take a toll on me. Um, and then it's just a lot of work and a lot of um, uh <laughs> not not to bash parents, but like I think it, there's so much to it. Is like coaching is is not just coaching the students. That's sometimes the best part. The 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 less good part is is having to deal with the administrative stuff and and the parents and the expectations and um you know I'm, I'm barely keeping myself sane. So like <laughs> I don't want to have to take care of other people's sanity. I think I I need to to really yeah just um, yeah I, I'm always going to be involved in skating. Of course I always will either consult or coach here and there. Um, but to do it on a full-time basis, um, it would be very, very challenging. And I think even doing it in Vancouver and doing it in Western Canada is challenging. Um, I think the biggest training hubs are typically in Ontario and Quebec. Yeah, fair. The, that's so interesting you say that too, because I find most athletes either, when they retire, it's like they want to get completely out of it yeah. or they want to be, completely back in it in a different role because I find that there's not many in the middle because again, you spent your whole life doing this for you is you knew what you could control. You know, you mm-hmm. were in charge of your own destiny. Whereas when you're a coach, you're not really, you can give people the tools that they need to succeed, yep. but you can't make them go out there and do it. You can't make them, you know, go to bed early, have the proper diet, give it a hundred percent every practice, yep. right? Where, when you're doing it yourself, you've, you're in a hundred percent control. Yeah, and, and that's why being a coach is sometimes really frustrating. And I don't think I can handle that frustration because just the little bit of coaching I've done, um, you know, luckily my wife and I, we, we both are involved in skating. So, like, we get to coach sometimes together. But, oh, man, there's some kids that I'm just like, like, the parents have these high expectations, you know, they're going to be <laughs> national champion, they're going to be world champion. And I'm the kid that can't even skate two hours on the ice. So I'm just like, how, like, that doesn't add up, you know, like, I, and I... And sometimes you just can't reason um, with people's uh, dreams. Um, so unfortunately, I just have, if I had met maybe a, a few skaters um, at my local rink that were so promising and were so much fun and worked hard, put in the hours and did the things where I didn't have to tell them to do it, you know, they just knew the responsibility to be a top athlete and what it takes. And, oh, there we go. There we go. I was just saying, I was so like captured of that story and I was going to add something. And then all of a sudden I just hear like the sound, like it's gone. I was like, the heck just happened? Um, podcast has a funny sound when people like get off or get in. It's almost like an alien. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know that. Here's that. 
It's okay. Um, My wife said that the answer was a bit too harsh, so maybe it was for a reason. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I, I actually want to touch on that because that was a great answer. And, you know, I appreciate the candidness to it. That's one thing that's that's so interesting about um, about sports, right? Like, you know, the kids, I, there's probably some kids who just would dream of being superstars and don't have it. I'll tell you personally, I wanted to be a superstar soccer mm -hmm. player. I knew at a young age that this body was not cut out for speed on the field. So yeah. I kind of uh, I got past it. But it's so interesting when you play sports and you see other pa like parents of, of kids that just, you know, they like their expectations are here and the kids here and it's almost they don't enjoy it. Whether they enjoy it or not, they just want them to be this next big thing. I can't even imagine too, someone like yourself, like if you were to coach, they would say, oh, well, you know, he's a world champion and an Olympic champion. So he's going to make my kid a champion. And the pressure must be, or the expectation must be even higher as a result. Oh yeah, they think I'm like the magic I don't know the magic solution to their kids uh, becoming champions. Like it, it, that's the thing is like it's so glamorized, right? And and I think with nowadays everything's so accessible. So you you all you see is like the perfection of of everyone's performance or competitive careers, um, but they don't see the nitty gritty stuff. Like the stuff that the day to day work is not glamorous. Like that's not the fun stuff, and that's that and that that's the majority of the work is like those hours and hours is like not fun. It's not pretty. It's not like, you know, filtered up. So you gotta, I think the expectation is a bit skewed um, for some of the, some of the younger skaters or younger athletes. I think sometimes they think it's, um, it's going to be presented to them on a silver platter. Um, and that it's a quick reality check when they start getting pushed and, you know, I'm trying to push them to, to, Push their limits because that's the only way you can improve is like getting past that pushing the boundaries every day just a little bit and then a little bit further and then a little further and then when you look back at the week you're you see the progression but sometimes they don't even hit that threshold um and that's hard when you want to be at the very top um and it's only getting harder you know the level of in all sports i think is just getting higher and higher did you Speaking of that, did you know from a very young age that you wanted to compete in the Olympics and that figure skating was for you? Like, as soon as you put the first skate on, did you know you wanted to do it? And what was it like for you at, at an early young age? Yeah, not really. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I really knew <laughs> the Olympics. <laughs> I didn't really um, watch it that often. Um, it was just more of like, I just loved sports. Like, I, my mom would put me in almost like, I would do three activities after school. Like I would be running from Taekwondo to uh, swimming to piano class. Like I would do so many things in one day just to keep myself busy. And I think my mom was just doing it strategically to tire myself out. So I would just zonk out. But I think I was just so, I just enjoyed competition so much. I love the challenge of like trying to beat my peers. Um, and then skating was just, I don't really know like why I mean, I think I like the freedom of like have, being able to skate as fast as I wanted to, um, jump when I wanted to. Um, that I think, yeah, that's just kind of the sport I fell into. And it's funny, like not everything's so planned. Um, I just happened to run into a coach and the coach is like, oh, you look pretty good. Like you're, you show some talent. And then I work with that coach and then that coach puts me in touch with another person. And then, then if one thing, falls into another and that's kind of how it happened it's not like i had a 
um, I didn't have a project, like a big dream of going to the Olympics. It was just more like, oh, I made it to nationals. Okay, what's the next step? <laughs> oh, international competition. Okay, like, and somehow, like, I was put in the right. That's why there's a little bit of luck, I think, um, when it comes to these things. Who, uh, who were some of your role models growing up? Well, I think <laughs> my parents, first of all, I think my parents were, um, if it wasn't for them, I mean, I hated them at the time for it, but they pushed me and really um, made me uh, understand the sacrifice that it takes for, for families to put their kids in sport, competitive sport, the money, the time. Um, and like not to waste time and to really make the best out of every lesson and every session um, because everything costs money. Um, and then they never put pressure on me, I think, too. That's the thing. Like my parents never, ever um, were never like tiger parents. Like my parents were very laid back. Um, you know, they were like, if you don't, if when you tell us when you, when you don't want to do this anymore, you tell us. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> like, you're right. You're right. I do like it. <laughs> um, but I think another role model would be my, um, my, one of my earlier coaches, his name was Osborne Coulson. He was an old school kind of guy, legend in Canadian figure skating. Um, uh, I don't know who I would equate him to kind of. Like maybe a Bobby Orr, <laughs> maybe a Bobby Orr figure skating just came from like that era of just like really, really um, great skaters, Barbara and Scott, kind of that generation. Um, and he taught me some of like the most um, important things um, at such an early age. He had such a good um, vision of like how he saw me in 20 years. And it's almost like he predicted that I would be like a world champion or an Olympic medalist. So, um, you know, he, he had a method to his madness and he was really crazy sometimes, but man, like he really, he put me on the map in, in some, some ways with, with my style um, and really shaped me um, and shaped the type of skater that I am. Love that. That's that's so interesting, it, and it kind of goes back to the point about like coaching and all that. It, it's really interesting that you hear stories. A lot of people, athletes, we've talked to other people who've come up um, in some kind of medium that involves some kind of coach to guide you. It it's so interesting that there's always that they have that figure that like just can discover these people have that mm -hmm. has that eye for it. it's it's honestly like it it's a gift, right? It's they can yeah. they just can kind of see it from such a young age and being able to predict anything is damn near impossible, but some people just have that where they can say, wow, this person's going to be special. Uh, yeah. I think a yeah. And it takes, and it takes a village, right? It's, um, you know, my coach was not necessarily the most convention, like conventional. He was, um, I think he would be maybe <clears throat> um, suspended at this point um, in coaching <laughs> just because like the method back then was so different. Like he was really tough, really hard. Um, sometimes like almost verbally abusive, but at the same time, my parents were not sensitive types of parents, you know, they were like, good, like this is teaching him um, really like what hard work is about and how to have thick skin. And I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to that um, when, when coaches are being really tough on, on the person, um, of course there's, it, there's limits. Um, I think there's, there's also some benefits when you're just, again, going back to like pushing the skater, pushing them to the limits and pushing their comfort zone. 
um, and teaching them to adapt in, in uncomfortable situations. And when they don't want to do something, I think that's such, those are skills that you need to learn at a very young age um, in order to be successful. Yeah. One, one thing you mentioned about uh, your parents and how they didn't, <clears throat> you know, the sacrifices they make. And they said, whenever you want to quit, you can quit. Or if you don't want to do this anymore, you don't have to, but you kept doing it. Mm -hmm. I remember being a kid and doing dry land training for hockey. Mm -hmm. I hated it. I try everything not to do it. And I, you know, I, I complained and I was just not there. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking about that. I'm like, if I had the mentality I have now, like I pay someone to train me now. Personally, I do it. Yeah. It's like my parents paid for my training when I was a kid and I didn't take it serious. <laughs> I would kill for my parents to pay for my training now. But you know, it's like that's the difference between, you know, athletes like yourself that go on to to be something and athletes like me that that go on to be nothing because I didn't want it. I didn't I didn't have that drive to push when nobody was watching. Mm -hmm. If nobody was watching, I was, you know, chilling. I was taking the shortcuts. I wasn't giving it 110%. Rick needs a spotlight. Yeah, <laughs> my parents are watching. I'm trying my, my butt off because I know they're paying for it. They, they want me to try. My coach is watching. I'm working as hard as I can. As soon as they turn away, I'm, I'm on both knees just chilling in the corner and yeah. trying to sleep. <laughs> I can definitely, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. I had parents that my, my mom would be, she watched every single session. Like she knew, she knew that I'd be chilling. If, if she wasn't there, I'd be like having a little chit chat, leaning on the boards, you know, like having a good time. Like she, <laughs> she would have, she would be, I would see her marching down from like, the seating area right to the boards like banging on the boards and being like get going like you know like pointing at, pointing at her watch like you know we're paying money here like <laughs> like get going that was my mom for sure that was my mom you know rick's mom was the one that rick's mom was the one in the ice rink just yeah just yelling across but like in a good way like your yeah. mom's not your mom's really nice but she's just like so vocal just like hollering what was the thing she always said to you uh holy moly what a goalie <laughs> If I if I made a good save, she'd be yelling, she'd be, holy moly, what a goalie. Never it. But my dad was on the flip side. My dad was like those parents that think their kid is way better than they actually are. In my dad's eyes, I still got a chance of going to the NHL. Yeah. He's playing men's league hockey. He goes, Rick, you know, you still look good out there. I'm like, Dad, I got two busted knees and I actually suck. The other team was bad that I looked good. I remember I dropped uh, – this is a funny story, actually. So I dropped uh, – I don't know how familiar you are with hockey in Ontario, but there's single A, double A, triple A. Right. Triple A is obviously the highest. From triple A, when you're older, you go on to either play junior A or you get drafted to the OHL, and then from there you move on to the pros. So I dropped uh, – during my draft year to the OHL, I dropped down to play double A because I wasn't that good. I was a very <laughs> mediocre triple A goalie, but – I didn't want to, I wanted to win. I was tired of, I didn't want to be a backup goalie right. and I wanted to win. I didn't want to get knocked out of the playoffs first round and I didn't want to not make the playoffs. So I dropped down to double A. I ended up joining the first place team there. We ended up winning a whole bunch of stuff, right? My dad's like, okay, you want, let's go back up to triple A. And I could have, but once you taste winning, you don't want to go back to medi mediocrity. Right? Yeah. So I went to go play with my buddies and we were a, a pretty good team, still double A. So we, we won this tournament to advance to like the big tournament. It's called the silver stick. And it's the big tournament for all teams. You have to win a tournament to qualify for this. So it's okay. usually, I think there's eight teams 
and they're all some of the best teams in the region. So we qualify. The game right after or before mine was a triple-A game with like two of the best teams in Ontario, you know, like the Marlies and the Waxers or something. Okay. So my game's right before them. So all the OHL scouts are there. And my dad tells a story every time. I had the best game I've probably ever played in my entire <laughs> life. Like I played phenomenal. Last five minutes, I get I get kicked out of the game. I get suspended. Long story. I'll tell that another, okay. another day. But <laughs> I, got, I got kicked out of the game, suspended. And my dad overheard, or the, the one of the scouts went up to my coach and be like, oh, your goalie was great, but you know, too bad he's got a temper or else he could have gone somewhere. The coach told my dad. My dad still tells the story to this day. <laughs> how I, oh, the scout said you could have gone somewhere. Like, something like that. My like, dad, I wasn't going anywhere. Anyway, yeah. like, Let's give up the dream. It's not happening. I was not good. That is so. Yeah, that's fair. very sweet, though. Wow, that's um, yeah. that's that's awesome. <laughs> like, you have to get kicked out that day. You never got a penalty when you get kicked out. I was like, sorry, Dad. Hey, you know what? Your your dad's a smart guy, Rick. You never know. He might be right. You might have had a chance to go pro, buddy. You never we'll know. never know now. We'll never know. Now we're here doing podcasts. <laughs> that's it. Oh, oh man, man. Uh, what a, that's so funny. I, I can picture your dad saying that. He's a funny guy. But no, you know what? It's great. Like I, I think having that, uh, you know, having parents that 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 support you, but also push you, know when to give you shit, know when that you, you know, they can see you kind of being lazy or, oh, yeah. you know, quitting a little early. Like it's it's super encouraging to have. I mean, you know, I speak for for both of us. Like our parents are always like pushed us, and but also like they're the most supportive, but they also call you on your, you know, call you on your shit when you're doing it, which yeah. is. Uh, super important yeah and i see that's a bit and i don't know not to generalize but i feel like it's changing i don't know our parents are you know my parents are are immigrants from from hong kong and like they went through some crazy crazy stuff during the cultural revolution in china so like i don't know when it came to uh, giving us an opportunity to do what we love and what we you know we get to just play sports and and i think to them it's um, I don't know. It, it, they didn't. They didn't want to waste it, you know, because like they worked so hard to get there, and they want to give us the best opportunity. My mom would get me the best coaches in tennis and golf, and you know, skating, whatever it was. She always got me the best quality. Um, but my, to hold up my end of the bargain was always like, you know, you gotta, you gotta show up, and you gotta, you gotta work hard, and you gotta play. So, um, you know. My temper was maybe a bit better <laughs> early on. <laughs> it's, but that's a, it's such a good point too. I mean, my, Ricky and I both also come from our, our parents are both in, well. I'm, I'm half immigrant, but Ricky's as well. And like, I think there's something about that. I, I, you know, you hear a lot of people say that the kind of it's like an immigrant mentality, the immigrant gene, and yeah. you know, you know, very fortunate that um, we were myself given the opportunity that I that I was and. Like, same as you got to play sports and got to do all the activities I wanted, but seeing my, you know, now I can, looking back, I can appreciate it so much. And it gives you such a, you know, it gives you a bit of humility now, even though you never have to go through that circumstance, you see where they came from. And like, you know, it's like, you know, when you have the hard days here or, you know, you're not enjoying practice or, you know, yeah. something seems like it's a struggle. You really think back and say, well, like, is it really a struggle compared to what they have to go through exactly. and all that? It really puts life in perspective. And you're yeah. right. It, it feels like sometimes things are changing. You start to see things, you know, Things now more so get perceived as, oh, it feels hard. I'm going to just kind of, I'm good. It's, it's too hard. Totally. It's more like a, a state of mind versus an actual physical physical challenge or a toll you can't overcome. And Absolutely. So I would agree with that, that sentiment, yeah. 
Yeah. I want to ask a kind of random question. I, I get very curious on these. Obviously, you've got a lot of hardware in terms of trophies and medals and everything. Do you are, are you the type that keeps them just you know in a crown royal bag and bring them to every party you go to, or are they are you the type where it's locked up in a safety deposit box? Um, it's 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 neither. It's more in a shoebox. Like it's in like <laughs> it's like in the in the abyss of my my little or more. Like it's yeah. It's like I always have a hard time finding it because I, I, I yeah I just it's put away. I never take it out. Um, I, I I gosh. Yeah, I don't even remember the last time. I, well, probably been two years since I've last taken it out. Like, yeah, it's could be we a coaster. Got, it could be used as a coaster. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is we've had numerous Olympians on, and sometimes we ask them to bring him. Some of them keep them locked away, but we have a, a friend of ours, Johnny Johnny Mo Johnny Morris. Yeah, uh, yeah. and curling. So we were at a wedding. I know maybe two, three years ago, and he brought the medals, and he literally had them in a crown royal bag, and they're like clinking around together in the bag. <laughs> two, yeah, the yeah. both of them in the bag. He forgot them at the like at the wedding as we went to the bar. He had to run back <laughs> to get them. And we're like, and I'm the biggest like Olympian like dude yeah. ever. I love Olympians, and I'm like, yo, how did you just do that? Like what? <laughs> I, those would, like those would be in a frame for me, and nobody could ever touch it. Well. <laughs> He's just chilling, got him there. Someone like you has him in a shoebox, don't know where it is. <laughs> well, it's just funny to ask that. I know. You work so hard to get that damn thing, and then now it's like it just sits in like in the darkness. Like it never sees light. Like <laughs> why why do we stress out about a stupid little thing like a piece of metal, right? <laughs> because it's it's so it's about the experience. Like it's at the end of the day, it's the experience that you'll always remember more than the metal. Like but yeah, it's 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 funny how like quickly it's just getting a new toy. Like the first week, it's like you love it, and then week after that, you've forgotten about it. Like or a new game yeah, or a new Xbox. Hard. Like it's it's no big deal anymore. Yeah. That's what I say about my university degree. I'm like, you you work so hard four years, you know, sixty thousand dollars or however much it my parents paid for mine, yeah. and I don't even know where it is right now. Like last time I knew it was under. <laughs> in my, my somewhere yeah like i didn't i don't even think i got mine framed it's like folded up oh my my parents yeah. framed mine i don't think they thought i was gonna i don't think they thought i was gonna graduate so i think they were pretty proud when i did i remember when i got my college <laughs> it was one. a big day like, when i got my college one after after western i went to george brown for a year and i they gave that we had a, a graduation and i didn't go i mean i'm not sitting through that i sat through the good one the four year long graduation so i'm not sitting through the one year post-grad and they're like, okay, well, can you send us your mailing address? I said, sure, no problem. Perfect. Mail it to me. Well, I lived at a condo in the, at the time. And when they delivered it, they they put it in my little mailbox slot. Oh. So they bent it like four times <laughs> to get it in this little slot. So I come home with it. Mom's like, Rick, like, what the hell? Like, it's bent. I'm like, Mom, do we really care about this that yeah, much? Right. Like, do I really need to order another one? It's just going to collect us with the other one. It's like, oh, where's the other one, by the way? I'm like, I don't know. I can't find it. <laughs> Fold it up. Oh man! <laughs> somewhere in a mailbox. <laughs> find it somewhere. Those are expensive boxes of paper. Very expensive. Oh man! Um, Patrick, I got a couple other random ones. Um, we like to to describe this podcast as a you know a good conversation, and one thing we like is finding out things about our guests that you just can't Google or you can't find on on Instagram or social media. Okay. So, what is something that most people don't know about you or can't Google about you? 
Oh man. And it's like hobbies, in, certain interests, certain fears. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> uh, I was going to say. Why do you think, George? What's one thing okay, that well, people don't Google about you? Well, well, he thinks. Yeah. I don't think Google about me. Or they couldn't tell from your social media. Um, I honestly not sure that I'm actually a, a good listener. Not I don't always talk. Maybe that's something that they would. I don't know. I honestly can't can't think of anything. <laughs> We've asked this question. I yeah, I don't have any good ones. Okay, Patrick. Okay, you're up. well, uh, I I really like uh, I play a lot of. Um, oh wait, you guys are frozen a bit. Yeah. Oh. Are you guys back? Okay. Um, something yeah, something that people it. don't know about me. Um, I, I love playing NHL <laughs> on Xbox. Oh. <laughs> um, I love, I'm a huge car fanatic. Um, like old school cars, sports cars? Sports cars. I love Porsches. Porsches are my favorite. Um, I speak... French. I speak Cantonese a little bit. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think what else. If you could have any car in the world, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Money's not <clears throat> Probably an old like 1970s Porsche Carrera. Yeah. Like done by yeah. Singer, Singer Porsche. I don't know if you guys know them. There's like a company in, in California. They like make some really amazing Porsches, like restore these classic Porsches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like one you would see in like the, the, I think the hangovers of Mercedes Benz. I think they drive, but something similar to that. Like those like yeah. those old school ones. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm a huge skier. Like I, I backcountry ski all the time. Um <laughs> I don't even want to tell a story about our skiing. I was just about to say, you think Ricky's skiing one time? He is, I wouldn't say, he's good, but he lives for the, the glades. Like he, to the point where he'll go by himself. And even though you know, it's not really safe to go down the glades by yourself, Rick lives in there. Like he'll build an igloo, stay out there the whole weekend <laughs> and just go through the runs. We, uh, we just went to Tremblant. Ricky had a bit of an experience. I guess I'll tell it anyways, but uh, yeah. we, uh, so I got shoddy knees now. Me and George ran a right. marathon back in November. So my knees since then haven't been the same. Oh no. <laughs> we went skiing, we went to Montreal Blanc last weekend um, for a little boys getaway, a little ski trip. So first day we get out there, we do one run, straight to the glades we go. Okay. We're in there most of the day, we're having a good time, having a couple of drinks, a couple of cottage springs. Um, so towards the end of the day, we're, we're in the glades. We're trying to hop out and my knees are killing at this point. So I'm about to leave the glades and go into like a regular path, but uh -huh. there was a little bit of a lip and I didn't want to go off it because if I go on like the bounce, the hitting the ground would kill my knees. So I like in split second, I tried to turn, but I didn't quite make it. So I just ended up smoking this tree face forward, straight on. And I ended up like wrapping around it. Like I hit and I just kind of hugged it completely so i was fine in the moment but everyone around was like oh are you okay are you? i'm like my ego's bruised but i'm good i'm okay 
my chest <laughs> has been hurting for two weeks now. You probably, it's finally getting better now. There's no bruise, but it's like it, it hurts in my back. That's how far this this. It's something hurts. with your ribs. You got to get your ribs checked. It has to. Be. It yeah. has. To be. I'm I'm starting to get better now, but. My knees are my knees are just still done. I, I just put my doctor's appointment, so that's good. I can finally figure that out. But I wrap this tree like you would see in like a sitcom. You know, like you have the background laughing, yeah. the background laughs. That's what I look like. Well, I've got a ski story. So last two years ago, 2019, December 2019, I was uh, doing a skating show in Vail. And so excited to like go ski like we booked an extra five five nights at the hotel to like just ski and have fun relax and i go to the first day so pumped it's been like three four years since i've skied i get my skis i go up with a buddy of mine who's really good um and like Vale's like really one of those places if you ever get to go it's like beautiful snow beautiful mountain but like they don't mark their trails really well and like they have a lot of those like um you know when you ski down and then there's like a flat part and then it like goes back down again it's like a, a catwalk they call it so their catwalks are really narrow <clears throat> and i'm bombed like we're going this is like our fifth run of the day so I, we're just like picking up speed and he's like he lets me take the lead so i'm just like making these big turns like booking it so fast on a nice blue run i hit the slip and i like have this flash of like skiing in tromblon and like taking those like lips and just jumping and like making it like a ski race jump. So I go to take the jump, I clear it, and then everything changes. It goes from like this, it goes to this, double like moguls, double black diamond. I like 10 feet in, 10 feet in the air, just land on a mogul, explode. And I destroy oh. my left knee. Like, oh my God, my oh. knee did something it was not supposed to do. I tried to like, I tried to like, I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not getting off this mountain like on a stretcher. There's no way. So I go to get up and like, I lean forward and my, my left knee literally goes like the other way, just hyper extends oh. the other way. Yeah. So oh. that's something that you won't find out on, on my, my Instagram. Or my yeah. <laughs> so I ended up tearing my MCL and my PCL um, and like had to get stretched off and then got luckily of course, because I'm in the States, the, the insurance is insane, right? Or the medical costs are insane. Luckily, my, my wife, like, the, the day we left, we were in the taxi, she pays for uh, uh, travel insurance, $60. They call us. I'm in the hospital. And they're like, how quickly can you guys pack your bag? And I'm like, wait, wait, no, I'm getting surgery tomorrow. Like, I want to stay here. And they're like, no, 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 you're, you're packing your stuff. We're sending a, me a medical plane a private plane to set to fly you back to Vancouver because we need to get you out of Canada or out of the States into Canada because they the cost is so much. And I get a bill, I got a bill like two months later for twenty eight thousand dollars for the plane. Do wait, does the insurance cover that, right? Yeah, yeah the insurance oh, covered okay. it. But that just tells you so like that's cheaper for them to fly me for twenty eight thousand dollars than it is for me to stay and get the surgery in the States. That's so crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a good thing you won the medal in 2018 because there was no uh, <laughs> yeah. triple axles after that. No. <laughs> My triple axle days are over. That's good. <laughs> over. Double That's no more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah. hey, you know, actually, oddly enough, we were, uh, we almost came out to the West Coast. We, 
we were supposed to do um, some remote podcast this year. Ricky had it uh, had arranged some with uh, Big Three in Calgary, Sun Peaks, I think, in uh, in uh, Vancouver. So wow. we were we were supposed to come out and uh, yeah, do some like shows based in uh, in the resorts there. Kind of do like a ski, talk about it. Great idea. Guests on. So it actually, well, funny enough, it didn't actually happen because of COVID. So it right. most likely will get delayed. Hopefully, if it comes around next year and we end up out there, we'll have to give you a ring and uh, give me a you call. Can teach Ricky how to ski. Well, teach you, Ricky can uh, can help you not only hit trees, and you can help Ricky kind of uh, get out of the glades and stuff. That's, and it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> no, Between the two of us, I'm sure we make a good team. Yeah, sure. yeah. Just be in the background videotaping us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the passion, oh, right. I, I think that's a good point to start to wrap it up. Uh, you've been, uh, this has been a great conversation. Love, love chatting with you, hearing the stories of obviously your career and what you've accomplished. Obviously, we did Google you before this. We we know who you are. You're obviously one of the you know greatest Canadians, you know, figure skaters of all time, which is unbelievable. So congrats on such a, an accomplished career you've had. And like we said, winning in 2018, although it wasn't the singles like you wanted, it's uh, it's a nice way to kind of put that cherry at the, on top of your career. So congratulations on, on all your success you've had. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. Of course. We, one, one thing I want to, what, what's that Greg? I actually want to add as well. Like I, um, you know, I actually was very familiar with you. I am not a, I did, growing up, didn't follow figure skating a lot. I knew honestly Elvis Stoico as a kid naturally, yeah. but I remember, you know, your name when I was kind of the same age, but going through university and kind of late high school, I remember hearing Patrick Chan, I just remember coming up and then, yeah, when we, we set this up, I thought that was really awesome. So uh, yeah, pleasure getting the chance to talk to you. And uh, again, like we said, congrats on everything. And uh, hopefully we get out for some runs. Yeah, I hope, please let me know when you guys are out here. We'll, we'll have to go grab some drinks and have a chat again. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're hoping that we still, we're probably going to head out towards the end of 2021 or early 2022. It's not uh, decided. We're definitely going to get out there soon. But Patrick, we've got two questions we always ask every guest. <laughs> the first, if there was a movie about your life, who would you want to star as you? Could be anyone from any point in time. Henry Goulding from Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. Yeah, he's good. He's good. I like that. I, I've always wondered what I would be like with a British accent. <laughs> I think some British actions just make people better looking. You know what I mean? Some of the accent. I get it. I see what the girls see. I see it. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Chan would have been Jackie Chan would have been too obvious, you know. Well, no, but Jackie Chan would have landed the jump, right? <laughs> A speech. <laughs> that man does all his own stunts. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the last question is: If you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? <laughs> um, man, uh, probably you know what? Stop taking taking yourself so seriously. Like, <laughs> just relax have a good time like enjoy you know enjoy the the hard work that you've you've done um yeah yeah just don't take yourself too seriously <laughs> that's great advice that's really good advice yeah patrick if people want to find more about you what you're doing where can they go how can they find you uh well you can go obviously on my instagram you can go um on my twitter my facebook page yeah, those are kind of the best ways to to get a hold of me, um, or to have a little snippet of what I'm doing. Um, 
yeah, other than that, that's it. <laughs> I try to stay low awesome. and keep, uh, keep a low profile. <laughs> Love it. Well, we'll make we'll make sure we put all the uh, all the links in the bio here, so the fans can uh, can take a look and and I'll and tag you guys in it too. Yeah. Post post ACL MCL tear. <laughs> Healthy um, knee. But again, yeah. Th thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, we wish you all the best in the post figure skating career. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain And I don't remember all of my mistakes And every I got alone No one thing You're not alright I'm not alright